0: Welcome to our fifth episode of the IE Ion Industry podcast. The digitization of operations at middle market industrial companies well underway before the arrival of COVID-19 has only been hastened by the pandemic. Particularly important has been the ability to now conduct and manage a greater number of operations and functions remotely. In this special two-part series of IE Ion Industry, we've invited principals from Alex Partners to discuss the wide ranging impact of remotification on production supply chains, marketing and financial performance in the middle market industrial sector. Management consultants have always been a key partner and oftentimes an agent of change for private equity investors and their portfolio companies. On today's episode, We are going to take a look how the working relationship and core functions of the advisory business have changed in light of the new norm brought on by the pandemic. To kick off the series, we've asked Mark Yampieri and Parmesh Bhaskaran from Alex Partners to provide an insider's view of how COVID has impacted the core advisory services they offer to PE investors and manufacturing companies from due diligence Cash flow modeling to turnaround and M&A work. Between them both, they have over 40 years of experience of management consulting work for complex supply chain, manufacturing, and distribution-intensive companies. They are both managing directors in the operations practice, partnering with PE investors and manufacturing businesses to drive operational improvements. We're excited to have Mark and Parmesh join us today.
1: Mark, Parmesh, thanks for joining us here on the podcast today.
2: Hey, good morning. Good morning.
1: While I suspect most of our audience will be familiar with uh, what it is Alex Partners does, maybe you guys can give us a quick description of what it is you both do and what the firm is currently uh, engaging in project-wise at the moment.
2: Great. Well, thanks, Jonathan. I'll, I'll kick it off. This is Mark. Um, Alex Partners, uh, you know, was founded nearly 40 years ago to help create value uh, in stressful situations where companies were facing uh, liquidity issues and potentially bankruptcy. And you know, over that period of time, we've grown to work with companies uh, with varying degrees of financial distress, to some that are just looking to uh, to, to make progress in a in a faster manner. And so when you think about the the typical client, they're looking for results and they're looking for them very quickly. So, you know, one could say that we try to solve for um, solve for time. Uh, Within the firm, we organize ourselves around specific industry verticals and functional areas. And uh, I find myself uh, supporting clients um, from a functional standpoint uh, around supply chain and logistics. Uh, and that really cuts across uh, all industries. And I also focus on the uh, transportation and infrastructure, uh, industry vertical, uh, helping companies that provide those services to, uh, to other companies. Uh, Parmesh, do you wanna give a quick intro on, on your background?
3: Uh, yes, um, so my name is Parmesh Pasteran. Uh I work with Mark within our operations group, work mostly in manufacturing four wall improvement, Along with that sales and operations planning uh, procurement in a number of areas for, for especially when clients need end to end supply chain solution, I also work specifically within within the industry industry verticals that we have work very closely in consumer products, restaurant hospitality leisure, and industrial companies
1: excellent and. You know we're speaking at a pretty interesting time. And I think depending on where you live in the US, there was a sort of uneasy calm with respect to COVID. There are certain indicators, for example, commercial air traffic, which have picked up a bit in recent months. Schools have resumed, albeit somewhat haphazardly. And at a glance, it seems that the business world is attempting to get, to, to get back to normal. Uh, at the same time, it's also worth noting that we're about to enter the fall season, and that there is another sense that we're about to have another quarantine episode two in the coming months, uh, likely to be coinciding with the flu season. What has business been like for Alex partners over the summer? And what do you expect to look like over the fall?
2: Yeah, so Jonathan, I'll I'll take that. Um, You know, it's funny how um, the consulting business works. Uh, Uncertainty is um, really a challenge. So when COVID first hit, companies weren't sure, does this mean that business is going to dramatically slow down what are the lockdowns going to look like? Um, will my business pick up? And and what we've seen is, um, you know, it, it's there's been several winners and losers um, from a you know a business standpoint across the different uh, industry sectors and the different uh, clients that we serve. But I think everyone at this point, we're you know at least in the U.S., probably six months into this, uh, realizing that. Um, there isn't going to be some quick fix, and that we need to figure out how to operate um, within you know the constraints that we're given. Uh, and right now, as you mentioned, there is you know some travel, uh, but it's not the you know the way it was last year. Uh, and you know there are businesses that are thriving, and unfortunately, there are some that um, are really um, facing significant distress based on the changing in, in consumer uh, behavior patterns, and in some cases. Um, rules around safety that that really prohibit businesses from operating the way they they have before. So for our business, I really think we're going to um, continue to see um, more distress in the sectors that, you know, are pretty obvious. Uh, But there are plenty aspects of the real economy that, you know, continue um, to thrive and are are continuing to survive. Uh, And, um, you know, we we find ourselves serving um, those clients too. Um, but unfortunately, given that it's the fall and we're heading into the winter, um, you know, flu season, uh, I don't think we're out of the woods just yet. Uh, and so, our restructuring business that focuses on turnaround and and um, you know, contingency planning for bankruptcy, we expect that to um, continue to pick up as it has over the last couple of months.
3: If I may add, things have ebbed and flowed also a little bit when. We had the first COVID bubble. Companies were immediately starting to look at their cash flows and looking at when are we going to run out of cash. So the help they needed from us was cash flow modeling, help us understand, um, you know, where we are going to run out of cash, how do we conserve cash, etc. When things stabilized a little bit, people were then looking at what is this going to do for my business. So there were companies that were like, our volume is down by 40, 50 percent. What do we need to do to sustain our business? So there was an opportunity to take cost out, work on costing, etc. Then after that, now when things are slowly stabilised, companies are being realised. Oh my God, my volume is uh, volume is significantly high, especially companies that serve retailers, etc. So they're Sales and operations planning is out of the door. Uh, They have thrown it out of the door just because they don't know what to expect demand like. Now they're trying to figure out how can we cater to our customers uh, and they are seeing significant increase in volumes as high as 20 to 30%. How can we significantly improve throughput? So we have played in different aspects of this along the way and it has been different challenges uh, but uh, always trying to solve a problem helping the client figure out, A, how do we take cost out of the business, or B, how do we improve throughput productivity? Some of those things have not changed, to be very honest. It is basically, there is a sense of urgency right now. There is only a limited window when some of these things can be done, and how do we execute
1: it? And I'm curious, to get your sense, was most of this work that you began in March most of it, presumably was done on a remote basis. and I'm wondering how has that split between uh, remote and on-site changed, if if any, over the summer, and how do you expect it to look you know, notwithstanding a sort of forced quarantine? Yeah. How do you expect it to look going forward?
3: yeah, let me let me take a stab at it um, and Mark, you can chime in. What we are seeing, you're absolutely right. March, April, May, everybody was. But you know we were all staying put, working on our computers, uh, because it was, a lot of it was cash flow modeling, et cetera. And then when it came to looking at you know how do we take cost out, we were still able to do a lot of these things remotely. But now we are at a phase where companies are trying to see how they can improve their productivity th- throughput. There are certain things that we can still help them do with unlocking capacity, et cetera working through models, working through other thought process, et cetera. But there is a number of clients now, especially it makes a lot of, it, it is important for us to be on the client side and working with them hand in hand to see how we can improve throughput productivity. So there definitely has been an increase in some of our consultants traveling and being on the client side. Um, Although it is not a requirement, but there are certain clients who are absolutely asking for that. So we are seeing that happen right now. We are very careful about how we make that happen. Example, we try to, where possible, we have been trying our best to make sure our consultants are driving, not flying uh, uh, from that perspective, minimize contacts, et cetera so that we are trying to be creative. We have been able to do some webcams. We have been able to do some uh, Zoom meetings, et cetera, to help them figure out where we kind of, if it's in front of the equipment, et cetera, where we've been having some discussions. So we have been trying to be creative, um, but there is definitely a general requirement that we our clients are asking us to be at the client side, work with them hand in hand, to resolve some of
1: the issues. And notwithstanding that many of your clients are are in a place, Mark alluded to, where they're they're gonna need to take your help regardless of how you deliver it. How do you get them comfortable with remote work and your ability to execute to a standard that they would or have come to expect with in-person work?
2: So Jonathan, I think it's interesting. I mean, in today's society, everything is so immediate you know, some kind of event happens on the other side of the earth and you know about it 15 minutes later and it's streaming on, you know, 20 different news outlets. And so, you know, we're just so used to things being immediate and in the moment, but when you take a step back, we, the the industries that we serve and and the, you know, consulting or professional advisor industry, I, I think has responded very quickly. Uh, when, you, when you look back and reflect over the last six months. In March, it was immediate shutdown. In April and beginning of May, it was kind of you know, figuring it out. And then as we got into the summer, um, there was a new operating model. And I think what we've learned from this past summer is, there are some activities that are actually more efficient done in, a, in remote fashion. And um, there are some activities that are just um, more effective uh, when you're in person, it doesn't mean they can't be effective when done remotely. It just may not be as efficient. It may take more time to accomplish the same task when you're trying to do it remotely. But I think when you you, you kind of take a view of the future, how are we going to operate? We're going to have to operate in a more flexible manner. That's you know nuanced and different for each different. Uh, client experience or situation and or geography, that could be, um, you know, a driving factor as well. And we're going to hopefully be able to take the best of each of these approaches to have a hybrid model where you have off-site analytics that are more efficient because you're not wasting time with travel, some face-to-face meetings where safety allows for it, uh, where you can actually get to know the person and start to build a relationship and then continuation through using you know, the video conferencing and, and technologies that um, I think everyone has become very familiar with over the last couple of months. Um, I also think there's a necessity to kind of um, you know, keep moving forward. And so even if there are lockdowns in the near future for a period of weeks uh, or months, I think we've learned this summer that we can be very effective um, with this hybrid approach and, you know, with safety in mind. And, um, you know, that, that's going to leave us with um, an approach to client service that's a lot more um, flexible and uh, a lot more tailored to each situation versus somewhat of a one size fits all before where you leave, you know, Sunday night, Monday morning and are coming back on the last flight Thursday. I think those days of, you know, you can have any color as long as it's black. Uh,
1: are behind us. well so I was I was actually just going to ask a follow-up question that ha- and I think you're you're starting to touch on it how has the, the global consulting industry changed because of COVID and do you think these changes are transitory or do they persist and what other what other capabilities are firms like Alex partners going to need to, to bring to the fore in order to provide value in this new hybrid environment that you mentioned
2: yeah, I, th- I think we're going to have to continue to build uh, off of, you know, what we've been forced into, um, you know, uh, in, in the last couple of months, we've asked people that were, you know, quote unquote, road warriors that have become very effective in changing people's behavior by interacting with them in person, right? And that, that's, that's a real key piece of the business that we're in. We're not just advisors. Um, we're also, um, you know, consultants that partner with management and actually help implement the change. And in some cases, um, help them to run the company on, on a temporary basis, uh, in interim officer positions. And so, you know, we can't just phone it in, uh, you know, every time. So for us to continue to create value and to continue, um, to, you know, be effective, we're gonna have to have a team that is uh, comprised of people that are, you know, willing to take on, uh, you know, a different role each week as the needs arise. And so, you know, there still is going to be that need for travel as ParMesh uh, spoke of before um, in a manufacturing environment, in a distribution environment where you've got a lot of people driven processes, that it's hard to really truly understand what's going on, what's going wrong, what needs to be fixed um, by doing a video call or even reviewing a video. Um, It's a lot easier and more effective um, to at least sample and and be there in person. Um, So to me, I think it's going to be more of the same. Parmesh, your thoughts on it?
3: Yeah, I think um, you hit on it. It's going to be a little bit of a hybrid model. We strongly believe that you know, there definitely needs to be some touch point, but we don't have to be there Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday every week. It may be maybe more like be on-site two, three days. You don't have to be on-site the following week then come back on-site. Uh, so some kind of a hybrid model, we think travel is definitely going to be less compared to what we are used to doing in the past. Jonathan? but uh, we also strongly believe that uh, uh, some kind of a touch point with the client is going to be important and we need to get the client comfortable uh, as to how we work with them and how we still can effect change in their business. And that is probably going to have it happen with some kind of a hybrid model in our opinion.
1: Fascinating. And I want to, transition the conversation a bit to supply chain since we have both of you on the call uh since on the podcast and i think it's safe to say that when we look back to this past march and april it's now in retrospect very easy to say that many businesses and their supply chains were not ready to deal with the disruptions brought on by COVID. and i guess i'm wondering is from your vantage point are you able to generalize uh, as the types of firms and businesses that were generally better prepared for these disruptions? Was it a function of the businesses themselves, management, or were there certain sectors that were just generally better prepared on the whole?
2: I'll, I'll uh, take a start. I, I spend a lot of time working with clients that have supply chains that span across the globe, and um, I'll, I'll answer the question in two ways. One, absolutely There are companies out there that were better prepared. They were better prepared for a couple reasons. One, supply chain uh, at least is um, an important competency. Might not be the the number one, but it's a core competency that they're focused on and they value risk, right? And risk is going to be a common theme in my answer here. Um, There's other companies that have fared very well, but it wasn't necessarily because they planned it that way. It's that they had a, you know, less sophisticated, more local supply chain that, you know, faced less disruption. If you think about, you know, this black swan kind of event that, you know, we saw starting to play out uh, last winter and into, you know, the spring and the summer, um, those are the, the types of events that are very difficult to plan for. Um, I think most of us feel that they are hard to predict, although there's some experts that have been calling for it for some time. Um, and if you think about the practical way that you would prepare for this, it would be very difficult for a supply chain leader to go to their boss, to their board, to their investors and say, I'd like to introduce a significant amount of cost in advance and, you know, a very good year. Uh, because I want to prepare for the 100-year flood. I, it, it, most people are going to find it very difficult to get that approved. And so when we talk about resilient supply chains and how you know, companies are going to start to favor that, I think that's absolutely true. We're seeing it happen already, uh, not just you know, with Nearshore, but just having two backup suppliers instead of no backup suppliers for critical components. Uh, it takes an event like this for people to truly appreciate the risk of, of a supply chain disruption. Um, if you rewound 12 months ago and ask people to put a business case together about how to prepare for this event, I think most of those business cases would be sitting on shelves and not necessarily being acted upon. Uh, I don't blame those people. I think it's somewhat human nature to, to uh, you know, require an event like this to really think about the cost of risk but um, we're absolutely seeing it happen now where um, companies are less focused on you know, cost as the number one uh, you know, factor to consider when evaluating a supply chain. Um, resiliency is, is becoming more and more important and they're taking action now.
1: There was an article several weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal talking about the drawbacks in the, in the COVID age of lean manufacturing and just-in-time delivery. And I'm wondering, uh, is this a more permanent shift to buffering with additional inventory, critical spares, consuming more working capital? Do you see that, I guess, how long do you see that dynamic persisting for?
3: Uh, it's very interesting you bring this point up, Jonathan. Last week, I was having a conversation with one of the executives specifically tied to the question that you posed. Um, so we, you know, when we were talking with them, they are a consumer products company. Um, the, the areas of focus was on, do we need to have duplicate supply chain? Do we need to have secondary, a primary and a secondary supplier in light of the event that we had? Um, are we, what kind of working capital do we need in the future if we are going to be managing our supply chain better. So we asked the same, we kind of asked, we're thinking through the same issues um, last week. And the answer was, you know, if, if this kind of event happens again, we would definitely want to have a primary and a secondary backup. Uh, depending on the secondary primary and secondary suppliers from a working capital perspective, we can still manage it to, um, to keep the working capital uh, within certain limits uh, and not, not make it increase significantly, but uh, there is probably, there is going to be an impact on working capital. Uh, we were talking about buffer inventory, et cetera, how we are going to manage that because a lot of our products were coming from the Far East um, and they were already working on a backup supplier from another country in the Far East So thinking about should we have a 70-30 split, 80-20 split, which I believe is definitely going to have some impact on working capital. Uh, Every business is thinking through this particular issue um, and we believe this is something that is going to be on top of mind and uh, something that every company is going to work towards so that they can have a better managed supply chain going forward.
1: And you mentioned CPG. How would you compare other industries grappling with this? For example, automotive.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, industrial companies are going to be very similar, especially if they get, I'm just giving as an example, if they get fasteners or some other widgets from the Far East uh, and there is no backup supplier here in North America, they are all definitely going to look for all those kind of opportunities in uh, in a secondary supplier base. Uh, everybody want, is going to try and build a redundant supply chain, in my opinion. Um, so that is something that I don't think, uh, that is something that is going to be a phenomenon across all the different types of industries, in my opinion. And it is just not the one example that I gave, but for sure it will happen across all different industries where they are going to
1: try and build a redundant supply chain. And how easy, or I guess uh, on a relative basis, how easy or, or not has it been for management to wrap their heads around this new normal? Is it something that they generally are saying, oh, look, this is, this, this is the new normal, whether or not we like it, uh, we have to consume more working capital in order to buffer uh, our, our supply chain or... How are they relying on new sources of data to help guide them in their decision-making process? Are they looking at new stuff, uh, new analytics? Um, What types of tools can you empower them with or are you empowering your customers with so that they're able to de-risk these decisions and consume as, as, as little of more working capital as they're going to need to?
2: I think that's right, Jonathan. And, and, you know, there is a role that technology can play. I'm not talking about, you know, video, video conferencing. It, it's funny how when things are going well, um, you're, you sometimes find companies that are willing to let their critical suppliers um, operate, I wouldn't say independently, but with a lot less oversight um, from, you know, their partner um, than when things aren't going well. And when things get to be a crisis, there needs to be um, greater level of communication, greater level of visibility, uh, and to the point where um, the, two, the two separate companies really need to act as if they're um, operating for the common goal for that supply chain. And so um, more interaction with those critical suppliers than you've had in the past. That's something that we're seeing a lot of lately. Um, There's transit time issues where there's products that need to, you know, move via ocean halfway around the world that takes time. However, um, getting the forecast right is very challenging now, given that you know, we, we're not really sure exactly what's going to be around the corner. What is the behavior of the end consumer of the products that we're manufacturing? How is that behavior going to change? Are they going to stop buying? Um, is it going to pick up? Is it going to slowly ramp up? And so, you know, trying to get that right and then coordinating with uh, the supplier, I think, requires a lot more cooperation um, and, and working closely with, in some cases, it could be getting access to data on their operating uh, metrics on what they're producing, where in the past, they probably wouldn't have been that forthcoming. But those types of collaborations are, are becoming more important and in some cases critical to ensure that um, the flow of goods uh, you know, continues uh, appropriately. Um, and and that, that's not you know, a silver bullet by any stretch of the imagination but it certainly is a way to help react when you know, things uh, from a customer demand standpoint can be somewhat volatile, and you can get you know, a little bit of a head fake where you think things are gonna be better, then all of a sudden they drop off again. Um, I, I believe we're gonna see more of that in the near future.
1: And with, I guess with respect to the demand side of the equation, like do either of you or both of you have a view as to how that will look or is are you viewing your engagements more through the prism of how do we best position our our customers to be as flexible as possible
2: i think that's right you you kind of have to be as flexible as possible because i i I don't know how confident you can be uh in uh you know the, the future demand when you know, for safety reasons, there could be government intervention that prohibits your customers from buying your goods or uh, dramatically, you know, impairs their ability. So you've got to be, you know, conscious of that. Um, we also have to be conscious of what the long-term effects on on people's psyche is and whether or not they feel confident to buy more. As an example, you know, this holiday season. As you, you know, kind of look at different outlets, it feels like this is gonna be a little bit of a cooler season compared to the last few years because of the uncertainty, which makes logical sense. You know, when people are uncertain about how things are gonna play, play out, they're not gonna overspend in the holiday season like they do when they feel the economy is great and the future is, is very bright. Um, and so I think that flexibility is extremely important. But as Parmesh mentioned when we first started the podcast, the the most prudent first step when you feel that there is a potential crisis happening uh, or definitely is happening is quickly look to cash, quickly look to how to survive and, and weather the storm. And um, I think that as we get into you know either the holiday season if if that's you know a big part of your business or um, other industries that are maybe a little less seasonal, um, looking at your working capital and um, you know making sure that you can you can survive a, a very slow uh, period uh, for uh, you know a number of months if if it may come down to that um, is going to be very critical.
1: And you know essentially what you're describing here is sort of a larger demand planning exercise. And I'm wondering what percentage of your current engagements or uh, to the extent you can obviously speak about that are including some sort of demand planning uh, offering right now. I'd imagine that many firms are not necessarily struggling with this, this aspect of their business, but are looking, uh, are looking to solicit as much help as possible in formulating their plans. What, what is that looking like for you guys these days?
2: In some cases, it's a little bit of a change in mindset. It's funny when when companies experience um, quarter after quarter or potentially years of growth, there is discussion around, you know, where's the innovation, where uh, can we provide newness to customers. Um, How can we be prepared for, you know, continued growth and, you know, not wanting to miss out on a sale. And then as things change, the conversation turns into what is the cost of getting this you know demand prediction wrong you know what is the downside case and you know I I think in an effective company you should be considering both aspects at all times but you know human beings don't always do that and so I think we're going to start seeing uh, a little bit more focus and and I personally have had conversations recently with clients where we calculate what we believe the downside risk is of every single piece of inventory um, that they have or are planning to produce. And is it worth, is it worth it? Right. Um, and so if you think that there's a lot of risk, there could be, I'm not suggesting this is the answer, but there could be some value in simplification in a period where you've got uncertainty because there's less that you can get wrong. Right. Um, and uh, over the, the the last several years, we've had, you know, decent economic growth in at least uh, you know in, in our part of the world and so expansion of the portfolio to offer more and more to customers to, to kind of continue to fuel that growth has been um, you know I, I think a strategy a lot of companies have have put into place I think now is the time to really focus on what works make sure that that's stable and perhaps um, pull back a little bit on um, you know some of the expansion of uh, of SKUs and and that could that could potentially help with working capital and could help get your forecast um you know a little bit more accurate
3: Jonathan um if I may add a couple of points we have been doing helping some clients do a lot of scenario planning if I may say um help trying to help them understand you know if our volume goes up by 20 percent, how are we going to manage it how are we going to unlock capacity, etc? if the volume you know if the volume is down by twenty percent, what levers are we going to pull to uh, to take cost out of our business so there is a lot of scenario planning that is happening as you know we are kind of getting into the fourth quarter here pretty soon, so a lot of the companies are going to plan for their next twenty twenty one in not being certain about what 2021 is going to look like there's a lot of scenario planning that uh, that we have been working out with our clients and help in trying to help them manage how are we going to manage that um, in the future and that discussion is uh, something that is on top of mind with a number of our clients
1: and given that you that that the alex partners team covers so many different areas of the economy how is the company i guess engaging or how are you engaging each with your counterparts in different practice groups to help provide your your customers specifically on the supply chain side with as much information as you possibly can and maybe more information than you had previously to help them de-risk their decision making process going forward yeah
3: i think um you know there is a number of things that we are trying to do as such. Of course, staying current with what's happening across the industry is very important. This is kind of where data, data analytics comes to be very uh, important slash useful to take, taking a look at history um, of some similar scenarios in the past, trying to understand what happened then and trying to predict or, or try to do some predictive analysis on how we can help them manage the, what is, uh, what is uh, going, what it may potentially look like for them. So we are definitely using a lot more data modeling, data analytics to help them understand. Uh, nobody knows what it is going to look like, but kind of taking some, building some scenarios with some modeling is kind of what we are trying to help our clients with. Uh, you know, and also kind of trying to understand what some of the companies are thinking their future looks like uh, is kind of what we are trying to help our clients with to uh, figure out how to manage best in the coming months. Uh, there is no silver bullet. it is going to be it is going to be a constant change of flux and uh, I think I told you last week talking to one of the executives, it was basically. How are we going to communicate this across the entire organization and, say, and stay as tight as we can so that we are making sure we are, we are doing the right things for our business? If the demand is going to change, how we are going to communicate that quickly enough so that we can take some actions to manage the business so that the supply side or the manufacturing side can react to that? How are we going to, what kind of dashboards can we put in place so that everybody has visibility into that and we are all playing, working with the same set of numbers is what is going to be critical for the business. Mark, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add.
2: The only thing that I'll add is um, I had a client ask me, uh, you know, when, when's the best time to put in a 13-week cash flow Uh, model? And the answer is really simple. It's before you need it, because once you need it, it, it's a little too late because there's a lot of options that uh, aren't available to you anymore because you've let too much time elapse. And so, um, you know, I I don't want to uh, come across as an alarmist, but it's really just, you know, basic common sense. If you prepare for the worst in advance, even if it's just, as you said, Parmask, run a model that shows a scenario of what something could look like, you then know what your potential levers are to get in front of it, to prevent it, to mitigate it. And, um, you know, we find that a lot of companies that we work with wait until the last minute to really start to do the contingency planning and wait until it's almost too late uh, before they're looking at options uh, around liquidity or it may not have anything to do with liquidity. They could have plenty of liquidity. It could be around um, supply continuity or labor continuity. And so, you know, I I think the best answer is we've been partnering um, and and Parmesh and I are part of the group that typically does not work with companies in bankruptcy and typically does not do restructuring, but we've been partnering with um, our colleagues that, that have focused most of their careers on that and are working a lot more closely to take some of the learnings of um, the speed in which you need to make a decision and really following the 80-20 rule when trying to you know, come up with a plan and taking that and applying it to companies that aren't in a restructuring situation. And it's, it can be very applicable. And also I think um, it, it can be eye-opening about what are the actions and what are some of the levers you can you know, use or need to use in a crisis. And if you considered those in a non-crisis, um, you really have a lot more options and, and c- it can really give you a lot more flexibility.
1: It can give you a lot more flexibility and I also think communicating what those levers are to your team uh, is probably equally important and, uh, Probably a subject for another discussion with you guys. And so I'm eager to continue that. But for today, I think we're all out of time. And I wanted to thank you both for taking the time to, to chat with us here today. Uh, and I'm sure our listeners will enjoy a lot of the practical advice that you guys have just given us. Thank you.